Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. I feel 29. I feel a lot better today than I did when I saw the... uh, now, what was that app called that was going around last week where you put your face on it and it made you look old? Face app. Who got their face apped and looked about 100? It's scary. I, I face, face apped my face and I looked about uh, 70 and I face apped my dad and he looked about 170. It was like a shriveled prune. (laughs) So happy birthday, everyone. Uh, You all get to be 29 today. How good is that? So who's ready for a bit of Word of God? A bit of the Word. Who loves the Word of God? I'm going to get straight into it today. And I'm going to start from uh, 1 Kings 19. And our theme today is called Stuck in the Story. 1 Kings 19. When Elijah saw how things were, he ran for dear life to Beersheba, far in the south of Judah. He thought to himself, I see how things are. I'm getting out of here. So he ran to the south of Judah. He left his young servant there and went on into the desert another day's journey. He came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in its shade, wanting in the worst way to be done with it all, to just die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Exhausted, he fell asleep under the lone broom bush. Suddenly, An angel shook him awake and said, get up and eat. I don't know how angels talk. Get up and eat. Get up and eat. I don't know. Probably kind. Get up and eat. Come on, Elijah. He looked around and to his surprise, right by his head, were a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. Now, it wasn't just any old bread. It was like still hot, fresh. I mean, like I can take or leave bread, but fresh, like hot straight out the oven. Oh, come on now. He ate the meal and went back to sleep. The angel of God came back and shook him awake again and said, get up and eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. Get up and eat some more. So he got up and ate it and drank his fill and set out. Nourished by that meal, he walked 40 days and nights all the way to the mountain of God, to Horeb. I told you that was good bread. When he got there, he crawled into the cave and went to sleep. Then the word of God came to him. So Elijah, what are you doing here? And And Elijah replied, I've been working my heart out for the Lord God Almighty, said Elijah. 
The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Then he was told, go and stand on the mountain at attention before God. God will pass by. A hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God. But God wasn't to be found in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire... A gentle, quiet whisper. When Elijah heard the quiet voice, he muffled his face with his great cloak and went to the mouth of the cave and stood there. A quiet voice asked, So Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? And Elijah said it again, I've been working my heart out for the Lord God Almighty because the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed your places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. And then God said, Go back the way you came, through the desert. When you get there, anoint Hazel. Make him king over Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi. Make him king over Israel. Finally, anoint Elisha, son of Snapchat, from Abel Mahola, to succeed you as a prophet. Anyone who escapes death by Hazel will be killed by Jehu. And anyone who escapes death by Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Meanwhile, I'm preserving for myself 7,000 souls. The knees that haven't bowed to the God Baal. And the mouths that haven't kissed his image. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I invite you here to speak. What I have to say isn't that great, but you want to speak to us something life-changing. So, Father, we open up our hearts to you. Father, I pray you'd help us to let down the barriers in our heart and our mind that we use to keep you at a distance. And help us to align our minds with your thoughts, and not to get stuck in our story. God, I pray you would help us to break free of stuck this morning for each person here. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning I'm talking about being stuck in the story, being stuck in our story. And uh, if you have a brain, then today's for you. you. Sometimes the messages are, are relevant for some people and not others. And um, 
Sometimes the, the messages are more for maybe teenagers or, or maybe fathers or mothers or different people in different situations in their lives. And I guess today is, is a little bit like that. It's for people that have a brain. Okay, so if you have a brain, today is for you. Does anyone have a brain? Hopefully, I see a few brains here. I have a brain and it gets me in big trouble sometimes. So uh, we're talking about that. Now, I want to talk about Elijah. I don't want to put Elijah down because Elijah was an amazing man, amazing man of God. He had incredible faith. I love reading the story. He trusted God and he was obedient. He always did exactly what God asked him to do. How good is that? How hard is that? He was obedient. And I don't want to take anything away from that this morning. But he was also human. He was not perfect. And I'd like to shine the spotlight this morning a little bit on his humanity. And not to pull him down, but to lift God up and to give us hope. Does that sound good? Everyone still with me this morning? Come on. So I want to begin today's story, uh, today's message by noticing that Elijah had been, uh, he had become stuck in his story. I want to notice first before he, anything else, as I read out that big slab of scripture, that we can see that Elijah had become stuck in his story. Chapter 19 records two conversations that he had with God. The first is under the broom bush. And I don't know if you know what a broom bush is, but it's a, a pretty pathetic excuse for a bush. It's like this little spindly thing. And it was a lone broom bush. So I, I guess it shows you how desperate he was as he's kind of working his way through this desert. He collapses under the little shade he could find. And I'm going to speak out now my, I already read the, the message version of what he said, but uh, I'm going to give my translation. I'm going to call it the NMBV, the new Mark Betcher version. So this is my little paraphrase of what he said. I've tried my best and it's made no difference. I'm done. I may as well die. In fact, God, please, kill me. Everyone would be better off. I've completely failed and I'm no better than the rest of my family that got us into this mess to start with. And in the cave, the Mark Betcher version says this. I've worked my butt off to change this all and what's the result? They have wrecked everything. I'm the only one that cares. I'm the only one doing the right thing and I'm hated for it. Every single person is against me and wants to kill me. And I don't think that's really far from what he was really getting at. I kind of took each line and, and thought, well, how will we say it now? I've tried my best. It's made no difference. 
I'm the only one doing the right thing. I'm the only one. I'm the only one here that's still serving you, God. And everyone is against me. Everyone wants to kill me. And these kind of two statements aren't the only record uh, in the Bible of, of these kind of statements that, that he says where he's saying, I'm the only one, I'm all alone. In uh, ch- uh, Back the chapter before, in verse uh, chapter 18, in verse 22, he says, I alone remain a prophet of the Lord, while Baal's prophets are 450 men. So in a couple of chapters, he keeps talking about this story that he's kind of stuck in. And it sounds roughly like, I'm on my own here. I'm the only one doing the right thing. Everyone's against me. I'm a failure. And it it seems like if it's coming out of his mouth... That means it's going around in his brain, right? If it's coming out of his mouth, it means it's going around in his mind. This statement that it seems like he's stuck in. Even in the cave, he says the same things twice. It's like... So where, where did it start? If it was in the cave, if it was in the desert, if it's a chapter before, this statement that he's stuck in, where did it start? Let's have a look at the outline of Elijah's story. Elijah's story is pretty short. In 1 Kings, it's, it's really kind of four chapters. But I'm just going to give a quick overview leading up to this point. So, Elijah's story uh, first starts in, in 1 Kings 17. And basically it starts with him confronting the corrupt King Ahab. This guy's a bad dude. Um, he's spiritually corrupt. He's not leading the people to follow God. And so Elijah declares that there will be a drought for three years until he prays for rain. His life, of course, is now in danger. So God sends him into hiding. And in the next scene, we see him living by a stream. And God miraculously provides him food by the way of crow delivery. Now, I've heard Domino's are considering delivering pizzas by drone. This is an old idea, right? Because... uh, God's been doing it for a while. Then the stream dries up and God sends him to a widow and her son who are both about to die from starvation. They're preparing their last meal. And Elijah says, make some for me and a miracle will happen. Your flour and oil jar will never run out until the rain comes. And so he lives with them. And while he's there, the widow's son gets very sick and dies, but Elijah prays for him and brings him back to life. Good old Elijah. Awesome, hey? And now it's been three years. 
God tells Elijah to confront Ahab again. So on his way to confront Ahab, Elijah meets this man called Obadiah. And Obadiah gives him the news that he himself, Obadiah, is still loyal to God. And not only that, he's managed personally to save a hundred prophets of God. He hid them in caves and fed them. Then Elijah announces the showdown. And this is like the preacher's favorite passage. He arranges a God against Baal power match to the death for uh, glory and bragging rights. Kind of like a uh, state of origin, but with fireworks. Kind of like a port versus kind of crows match, but with a lot more blood. Okay, so it, it, it kind of this big showdown thing happens. And of course, God wins. Yeah. Uh, and then Elijah prays for rain. And it does. But things don't quite go to plan. They don't quite work out how Elijah thought they would. And he finds himself running for his life again. To the broom bush where he wants to die. And then to Mount Horeb, the Mount of God, hiding in a cave. Repeating to God a speech that he's stuck in. That's not really true. Or at least, not now. Because he's known from the time he met Obadiah that he's not alone. And that he's not the only one. And that there's still others, at least a hundred, that are still loyal to God and aren't worshipping God. And that all is not lost. But once it was true in Elijah's mind... Once three years ago, when he was sitting by a stream, all alone, hiding for his life, being fed by stinking crows, feeding him roadkill, and drinking from a dried up stream, it was very real to him. Because for all he knew, he was the only one. And that story had been playing ever since. I'm the only one. All is lost. Everyone's turned their back against God. God, it's just me. They're going to kill me. God, I'm the only one. I'm all alone. No one understands what I'm going through. Around and around and around. So my first point is trauma can cause us to get stuck in a story. That was hard. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be the only one literally in a whole country 
believing in God, being persecuted, being chased down, your life threatened, fearing for your life, with no one around except crows to talk to. And I'm not even a crows fan. Sorry, Adrian. Adrian's a crows fan. The crows are great. In this scene, the crows are the heroes. But living from, I don't know how a crow, what they bring, but it, I can't imagine it would be too good. The food that they brought him, struggle town. So trauma can cause us to get stuck in a story. When we're hurt, let down, taken advantage of, we often attempt to make sense of what we're going through by going over the story time and time again. We attempt to work out why, to try and work out who to blame, where our role is in this all is and, and how we get out of it and, and we play the story over and over again. And that in itself is not necessarily bad, but sometimes we get stuck. Even when we have new information, even when Elijah knew that there was new information, there was something else that should have impacted that story, but the story kept playing. And maybe at times you get stuck in a story. And maybe you replays when you don't expect. And the thing about the tapes we play in our minds is that the more we play them, the more we seem to want to play them. And often we get so used to playing them that we don't even notice them anymore. But they're still there, playing around in the background. I guess I think of it a little bit like our favourite food. For me, um, my favourite food is chocolate. And um, I find it very difficult to eat uh, one little square of chocolate. In fact, I don't know if I've ever just ate one little square of chocolate. It's like... If there's a block there, it's gone. It's just like you, that, you know, the little silver paper, and you break and you smell, oh, the chocolate smell. Man, it's irresistible. And you just crack. You don't, you don't crack one off, do you? You crack a whole row off. Come on, let's be real. And you kind of like, and what I do at the moment is my latest thing is Holly bought some chocolate from the. Um, What's that place called? Oxfam. It's like a fair trade chocolate, right? And so because it's fair trade, you know, you can't just buy one, you know, because it's saving the world or something. So um, so what I've been doing lately is I go to the cupboard, there's all these blocks of fair trade, and so I feel a little bit better about myself. I crack off a row, I eat that first, then I crack another row off. I separate that in half and I give, you know, a block or two to the kids, like a little. Then I eat another row for myself. Then I crack another. I split that in half. You know what I mean? So it's like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm sharing. So good. But it's irresistible once we start it. 
And that's kind of like these stories that sometimes they're like a like our favorite food. But you know what? No matter how delicious these stories are at the start and how justified you are in thinking and reflecting, it always has a best before date. And eventually, if you keep eating it, it will make you sick. These stories cause anxiety. They cause depression. We can see here that Elijah, or this mighty man of God that did exactly what God wanted him to do, found himself under the broom bush wanting to die. God's thinking doesn't do that. He was stuck in a story. Depression, hopelessness, broken relationships is what this stuff causes. It causes broken relationships between people and between God. Some examples of stories that, that I have been stuck in or, or that I've seen people stuck in, and maybe some of these might sound familiar. It's not fair. 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 No one really cares. No one cares. No one cares. No one cares about me. No one understands. No one understands. I can't get anything right. I can't get anything right. Some of these once were true, that you didn't get something right, but it grows, right? I can't get anything right. I can't cope. I can't cope with this. I can't cope with them. I can't cope with this. I'm alone. I'm all alone. I'm not appreciated. They don't appreciate me. They don't see what I do. I'm the only one in this relationship trying. So that's what Elijah said. I'm the only one trying. I'm doing my best. No one else is. They're impossible to please. After all I've done, after all I've done, I've said that one. After all I've done, this is how they repay me. They don't deserve me. I don't deserve this. It's their fault. It's all their fault I'm in this situation. If they just did their part, I could do mine. People always let me down when I need them the most. That's just how it is for me. People always let me down. When I need them the most. And the hard thing about these stories is they probably were once true. You were let down when you needed someone the most. People don't, didn't appreciate you or, or someone didn't recognize you or understand. 
And it's the trauma, the pain that was once real, and we replay it over and over again. We can easily get stuck in these things. So how do you recognize when you're stuck in a story? What we see here with, with Elijah is that a sign of being stuck in a story is that it's repeated. You know, when I, when I said some of those lines once, they have very little meaning. But when I say, when, when I say them three or four times, I realize some of those I've been stuck in because I've said it over and over again. When we're stuck in a story, we repeat it. It pops up. Usually when things go wrong, when we're having a bad day, when, when we walk into a situation, we get home, the house is a mess, or, or we feel unappreciated, or something happens, and, and that story plays again and again. So one way we can recognize we're stuck in a story is repeated. A, a story that we're stuck in usually talks in extremes. I'm the only one. They never, you know, those kind of big words. A stuck story tends to pop its head up when we're low, when we're having a hard time, when we're having a bad day, when we're in a tough situation. It plays again. There it is. Ah, there's that story again. A stuck story has emotion. It quite often has more emotion than what the circumstance would normally warrant. Because it's not just about that moment, but all the other moments that have brought to this stage. It's like combining all of that stuff. And that's why I think we see such a big reaction from Elijah. Really, he'd been running for his life for, for most of his life. He'd been hiding with the crows, with the widow, and, and then all of a sudden his life is in danger again and he falls apart. And you, you scratch your head thinking, Elijah, like, what? but it wasn't just about that moment. It was the years that had come before where that story had played. Sometimes we can get stuck in a story for an hour. Sometimes we can get stuck in a story for a week or a month. There might even be people here that have been stuck in a story for years. Maybe since the day they got married or the day they got divorced or the day they lost a job, or the, the day they were cheated on, or, or the day that some tragedy happened, the day they lost someone they loved. And the harder the trauma, the easier it is to get stuck. So my first point that I want to make is sometimes we can get stuck in a story. The second point I want to make is that, that God, he looked after Elijah and he wants to look after you. You know what? 
it's confused me a bit around the story of Elijah. And when we look back at the start where he was with the crows and the stream, and I, I just kind of thought to myself when I first read this, well, wh- why did Elijah send him to the widow? When he could have he could have just shifted him to another stream. I mean, he he brought flipping crows to get him food, you know, like he could have got him water from a rock or anything. Why did he take him to the widow? And you know what I think that right back there God could see that he was getting stuck. That he that he wasn't coping with being alone. And so I thought I think he might have brought him to the widow. So he had a family. I think it might have been God's way, even back then, to recognize his pain and to to try and help him out of that stuckness. And then, and then we see this interaction with Obadiah, where where once again, I feel like that was probably God too saying, Elijah, you know, this thing you've been thinking is not true it overdies for you he, he loves you he thinks you're awesome and and it's not just him there's all these people hiding out in caves having a similar situation as you uh, and they're still for god i think that was another attempt that that god had to kind of ease elijah out of that stuckness in fact all along God looked after and provided for Elijah. And, and the story, I guess, that he was reciting said very much like that he was trying his best, that he was the only one doing anything for God. And to be honest, when I look at Elijah's story, what it mostly looks like is that he was sitting around and God was providing for him. But it somehow wasn't the way he saw it. And so in his stuckness, he didn't seem to recognize what was going on. King David says this, He provides a table in the presence of my enemies. That even though Elijah was hiding for his life, God always provided a table. He provided his food and his nutrition and his safety. He was always there for him. So even though it seems that Elijah was unaware of what God was doing, what God was actually doing was looking after him, and that's exactly what he's doing for us. It's exactly what he's doing for you. And I've missed it. Maybe we miss it. Maybe when we're stuck in a story of our lives, we forget. We don't kind of see the perspective that God was actually always there. That he always kept us safe. That he provided what we needed. And I've been stuck. I remember a time when I was at the end of my rope and I was on my face before God and blaming him and shouting and swearing and saying, God, where are you? But now I look back and I can see that he was always there and that I was stuck. 
couldn't see what he was doing. So my first point is sometimes we can get stuck. My second point is that that God was actually looking after Elijah and he looks after us. And my last point is that something changed in the cave. So God said, go back the way you came through the desert to Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel. Make him king over Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi. Make him king over Israel. Finally anoint Elisha, son of Snapchat, from Abel, Mehola. It's actually Shaphat. But I just call it Snapchat. To succeed you as a prophet, anyone who escapes death by Hazel will be killed by Jehu. Anyone who escapes death by Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Meanwhile, I am preserving for myself 7,000 souls, the knees that haven't bowed so that God bow, and the mouths that haven't kissed his image. So that's a long way of saying this. But the Mark translation of this one sounds a little bit like this. Elijah, I'm not finished with Israel and I'm not finished with you. BTW, by the way, you're not alone. Elijah, I'm not finished with Israel and I'm not finished with you. I've still got a plan, I'm still acting. There is hope. By the way, you're not alone. I'm not finished in your work, in your workplace. I'm not finished with you. By the way, you're not alone. I'm not finished in your school. I'm not finished with you. By the way, you're not alone. I'm not finished in your situation. I'm not finished with you. By the way, you are not alone. I'm not finished in your family. I'm not finished in your family. And I'm not finished with you. By the way, you're not alone. Something happened in that cave. Something happened. And who knows, there's a difference between man telling you something and God telling you something. Obadiah tried to tell him, but it didn't really go in. But when God told him, when God told him he wasn't alone, when God told him he still had a plan, when God told him he wasn't finished with him yet, it, it, something changed. And he stepped out of that cave a different person than he went in. God's word is powerful. Hebrews 4.12 says this. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Therefore, since we have a high priest who is ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Wonderful. So my point for, my last point, if we'd be able to have the keyboard up, is this. The cave is Jesus. Elijah found himself in a cave. And that was no accident. Because the cave is actually representing Jesus. The mountain of God. A cleft in the rock. A protected place. A place where God's word was powerful. It was loud. It was gentle. It was full of grace. The cave was Jesus. You see, in the cave, power, truth, and grace came crashing together with so much ferocity that the rocks blew away, that the mountain was set on fire and shook. And 2,000 years ago, the same thing happened at the foot of the cross. And as Jesus hung there, all of God's power, His truth and grace embodied in human flesh, collided and the whole city shook. And the world is still reeling from that. Because the truth is that we have failed. Elijah was no better than his father's. He fell apart, he crumbled, he gave up the truth is we have failed the truth is maybe at times in your life no one has cared the truth is that we have been let down we've let others down we are hopeless we've been blind we've been selfish truth is we're damaged the truth is sometimes we don't know what to do but in the cave is grace we're covered 
because the cave is Jesus and Jesus took our shame. He took those things that we've done wrong. He took those hurtful things that should have that should have caused us to be judged and he judged himself. He took that on himself. And in Christ, we can stand at the face of the cave and stand the storms of life. Empowered by God's power, but not crushed by it. Because Christ was crushed for us. He took our failures to the grave. And it no longer has any power over us. They are irrelevant in the context of what God can do in us, through us, in our families, in our town. Not because of us, but because of Him. See, the cave is Christ. And and in that moment, as Elijah sat in that cave, God spoke. And if we allow ourselves to be in Christ... And in us, acknowledging that we need Him, He can speak words that will transform our soul and break us out of the most destructive story that you have. I can rip that story out if we allow Him to put a new story in our mind. If we say, God, I need something new. I'm stuck in a story. I can't break out of it. Yeah, it was true once upon a time, but God, there's a new new strength. There's a new truth when I'm in you. And that story is irrelevant. God, I want to take what you say. I want to get stuck in that story. Elijah's mind was aligned with God in the cave. And our alignment is Christ. Would you like to stand? I just love how the cave disrupts Elijah's story of aloneness because in the cave he was not alone. Would you like to close your eyes? This morning, I want to invite everyone into Jesus because you are not alone. You're not alone. And no matter what destructive story that might be playing in your life, I want to just smash it this morning. And I just invite you to accept a new story this morning. I am not alone. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. God is with me. He's for me. He's not against me. I'm not alone. Who can stand against that? Who can get in the way of God is for me? Who can be against me? I just want to encourage you to just stand in God's presence for a moment. Father God, I just pray that you would speak to every man, woman, child that's standing here this morning. God, I pray that you would, like your word says, that your spirit is powerful, your word is powerful, and it is powerful, more powerful than a two-edged sword. Father, I pray you'd speak now, bringing to mind stories that they might be stuck in. 
that you might cause those chains to drop now in Jesus' name. Father, remind people now of the things that come up that are unaligned with you. you to bring your story to God. Some of you are thinking, some of you are the stories that you failed. Some of, it, some of you have got stories of hopelessness, that you're stuck. Some of you need God's truth. Father, I pray you speak your truth now about what you say about these people standing here before you. Father, some people here need your grace. They need a revelation that they're forgiven, that they're covered. The past is the past. Washed away in the waters of baptism. Father, some people here need direction like you gave direction to Elijah. You told him what to do and where to go. You broke him out of stuck. God, I pray you give people direction. You show them the next step. Thank you, Father. Father, I just pray for each person here. Father, I know that the answer to our stuckness is you and that it's not just meant to be a one-off thing but it's meant to be a thing where we live where we spend every day reminding ourselves that you are in us and we are in you where we get to hear your word where we get to be free so I pray you'd help us to make time every day to make room in our lives for your word to break us out of our stuckness. Let's worship. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.